Welcome back to the catch up, y'all. If you're listening right now and ever thought, damn, I wish I could be in the room with Jeff and Eli and correct these dummies on something they said or ask a question to one of our awesome guests, well, you can. We're actually starting to live stream almost every episode of the podcast on Twitch. So it's completely free and easy to tune in. And you'll get to hear the podcast in a raw, unedited form a day before we actually launch it on iTunes and Spotify. So it's a cool way to chat. It's a cool way to interact with with you guys. So at the end of this podcast, you're actually going to hear the Food Beast roar and we'll take your questions from the Twitch stream. So if you want to tune into that, make sure you're following Food Beast on Twitch. You can stream from your phone, computer, wherever you want. Just go to twitch.tv backslash Food Beast and you'll see it live on Wednesdays, 11 a.m. PST, y'all. Okay. Welcome to the catch up. Introducing your hosts, Eli Aruth, Editor-in-Chief, and Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously, of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms, It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy. There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. All right. And welcome to the catch-up. Without further ado, without further ado, today's guest is Mr. Andy Nguyen. He's probably most known, I think, for being the co-founder of After's Ice Cream, which is a chain of ice cream stores across California with 25 locations and counting. He's got a real inspiring story. I want to I want to get to know more about him though. He's had troubles in high school. He went on to do real estate. Then he founded a successful clothing line called I'm King that was sold in over a thousand stores across the country. And now he's been an owner in over 15 plus restaurant concepts. There's tens of millions of dollars in sales across those food spots. I want to know more, baby. Let's Andy, go. welcome to the podcast. Welcome, oh, Andy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course, baby. Of course. Yes. Bro, okay, so we all know you were instrumental in building After's Ice Cream. Right. Right? But for everyone listening who doesn't know you yet, and I didn't even realize, I was doing a little bit of research on you, I didn't even realize how many concepts you've had your hand in. A lot. Like a lot, a, a lot. lot. And so I'm just going to rattle off this list. Okay. Because I think it's important for everyone to know, and you might get exhausted by the end of this list, of how many different concepts you're a part of. Some open still, some not open. And I think that's really important part of your story. Okay, so you're the former CEO of I'm King yep. Clothing. You're the co-founder of After's Ice Cream, co-owner of GD Bro Burger, co-owner of a concept called You Jelly, co-owner of Milk Box, co-owner of Project Pokey, co-owner of Pig Pen Delicacy, co-owner of Portside Fish Co., co-owner of Wingman Kitchen, co-owner of Red Envelope, co-owner of Dough and Arrow, co-owner of Show Me Nudes, co-owner of Mad Bun, and co-owner of Groundhouse Burger. I'm sure I've missed a few, but is that list somewhat accurate? It's pretty accurate. That's fucking crazy, dude. How do you sleep at night? I don't. I don't sleep. I've been running this for forever. So we've known each other for a while, but I didn't know you in high school. No. And I've, I've heard that was a pretty formative time for you. That's, that was an interesting time for me. What? Tell me about high school. How were you like a, as a freshman, sophomore? Were you a nerd? As a, fresh, a freshman, I had, I had this one bully that like literally destroyed my entire year. 
What you mean? His cousins were like the senior gangsters of the school. Oh shit! Where'd you go to high school? La Quinta High School in Westminster. La Quinta. Yeah, and this dude was like, if if his cousin wasn't there, I would have fought him. But he had a (laughs) there's like this quad at our school where everyone hung out. Yeah. And all the gangsters there every single day, and I'm walking by, and this guy's just like talking shit to me, and I can't do anything. I'm like, yo, dude. What's he What's he saying to you? You got (laughs) You got shit. Where you from? We're gonna I'm gonna fuck you up every you know it's all the time and it's all the time and I had classes with this guy and this guy's like pushing me and i'm like and i want to fight back so bad but these gangsters you know if what? i'm what at that time they would pull a gun they would pull a gun to me outside uh-huh. school so i was like you know what just take it and that ruined my entire freshman year like i was like watching my what? back at all times super paranoid the whole year so my grades were like the worst like i couldn't focus why do you why do they target you that's a bully I, question, but I kind of grew up with the, that guy in elementary, and he transferred out. And I guess in elementary school, I guess we we fought somebody, and then he didn't jump in. And we had a mutual friend, and then she mentioned his name, his name because they went they ended up going to the same school in junior high. I'm like, oh, that guy's a pussy. He didn't back me up. Oh. So she told him. I'm like, what you? <laughs> and then he happened to go to. We end up in the same high school, and then his cousins are all there, and I'm like. Oh no! My life is, you know, this is done. It was like, the, and it was the worst experience because I was like knowing this in the summer, getting ready for high school already. So my head was like thinking like the worst thoughts. I was like, I don't want to go to high school. Dude, well, high school's already high, hard enough. It's already intimidating already. Yeah, right. So, that you know you're going into a school where you are the lowest class of peasant yeah. of the four years ahead of you, right. and it's a different experience, a different class setup, it's a different social structure. Yeah, you're also fucking going through puberty this is, this is, yeah. this is a hard. that freshman year was tough because i already i was already on probation from eighth grade getting caught stealing at the mall with my friends what the fuck um, why what did you steal in eighth grade we're, we're stealing everything at westminster mall <laughs> like like, sears sears alarms didn't really work so we're jacking like cd players like basketball jerseys um i think the we got caught inside of jc penny and they have like cameras watching us they're like laughing at us the whole time and we're like jetting out the door with a kobe bryant jersey down the down the street running to best buy like trying to hide um i was on probation that year so i couldn't be out after 10 o'clock um my sister somebody's trying to fight my sister in junior high so i go to junior high to go you know fuck that guy up and i get suspended from my high school and like and then i get a one at the end of my freshman year my i like a 1.63 1.67 like i only passed two classes bro that's bad choir Basketball. <laughs> Yo, Andy hoops. <laughs> Do you hoops? Used to. I okay. Used to, until I got surgery, but yeah, used to. Hoop. Happens to the best of us, dog. Yeah, I'd like be a- in the NBA right now if it wasn't, <laughs> yeah. if it wasn't for my injuries, <laughs> my eating injuries. Okay, so freshman year sucks. Suck. The worst thing in my like worst one of the worst experiences that I always remember. But the cool thing is, I'm friends with that guy now. I actually saw him a few weeks ago. We're good. We're good. Oh, we're that's good. tight. Yeah. But um, at that time, it was like the worst experience. And after my freshman year, if you have 1.67, they're not gonna keep you around. So I got kicked out. You got kicked out of high school. I got kicked out of high school. So it's freshman year. So what what happens when you get kicked out of high school? Continuation school. I went or to something? continuation school um, down in Euclid near Boiling Crab. There's like this office space. Like it was not. It's not even. It's not even a school. It's like an office. And you walk there. You're like, what's going on in here? And you have all these gang members in there like doing their homework and you go there once a week pick up your work and then you go home and do it and you do it and i'm like pretty much stuck at home all the time so i'm just sitting there and i live literally you've, my kitchen my kitchen's right here and my window's right there i can see my high school wow the window across the street so i see everyone every day leaving having a good time I'm like dude i don't want to be here first week is great you know first week i get to stay home watch tv 
watch a bunch of soap operas, but nobody's on AIM at the time, so I have no one to talk to. <laughs> so that first week is cool, but after that, you're like, man, this sucks. I want to be, I want to be hanging out with my friends. I want to, you know. When when do the when do the hustles kind of start for you, in the sense of if school isn't necessarily the thing that you're thriving at. Uh, what was what were the first couple of things that you were like? All right, well let's let's make some money. I, I it was never really about making money, especially because that's like getting kicked out of school is a big like change in my life. Before me going to go back to high school with my junior year, so when I get when I came back, I was like a completely different person at the time. I had like I dressed different, I had a lot more confidence in myself, and I kind of carried that into everything I do even now. So it's yeah. more about like my personality and experiences and bringing people together more than chasing money. Sure. Yeah. But, but, and I, I can totally appreciate that, but there was, I know that there was a creative side to what you're doing right. that didn't fit into the eight to 3 PM classes in school. Of course. Uh, and so when did you start discovering that creative side about yourself? Once, once I went to community college, um, all my friends were all, all of us ended up, my whole circle of friends ended up at community college. Like none of us went to UC's Cal State. We all ended up at OCC together. We we're hanging out all the time and I was getting in that funk again already. I was like, this sucks. Um, but my best friend Polo at the time, he already dropped out six months into it. He's like, I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm going to go work for somebody. I was like, what the hell? And he ended up doing this thing called real estate appraisal. Um, and he's like pulling up in like new cars and he has all this cash and he's buying all the new shoes. And I was like, what the hell? And one day we're driving back from um, Santa Barbara uh, after partying and he's t- telling me like, oh, we can, you, sh- you should do this real estate appraisal thing with me. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't even know what real estate is. <laughs> he's like, we can start our own company. And I was like, what do you mean you can start your own company? Like, we're only 18 years old. Like, we don't, you know, that's not possible. Yeah. And at that, you don't, in 2002, 2003, we didn't know anyone at the time that owned their own company. You know, we're, we're still kids. And, you know, we, if we did know anyone, they were an older person. And when he said that, that sparked it. It's like, oh, I don't want to work for anyone. I don't even like listening to anyone. So, yeah, I'm down. Let's figure it out. And I ended up taking uh, real estate appraisal courses. Um, there's like 10 of our friends that end up doing it. I'm the only one that passed and got my license. Mm. Everyone's using my license, you know, and we learned how to generate a lot of money. Um, we had this little tiny ass office in Costa Mesa and you know, a, a day we're doing from 600 to three to $4,000 a day in, 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 um, real estate appraisal work. Wow. At, at 19 years old, which is insane. Well, you bring up, you didn't know anyone that owned their own company at mm-hmm. the time. And I, I think that's important because owning your own company wasn't necessarily like on the cool person's radar no. at the time, right? Like people were entrepreneurs inherently. But I think like people in our families probably like the way they own businesses was like they might own a coffee shop, they might own exactly. a, a laundromat mm-hmm. or something like that. And there was never like a sexy tinge to being that exactly. style entrepreneur, right? It was mm-hmm. just like that looked like a working man's entrepreneur. Yeah. Like we we didn't we real estate we you know we were just following what someone else was doing at the time. We didn't know how to be creative and, and carve our own lane. Yeah. Who who would you look up to at that time? At that time? Like either in pop culture or in your life. Um, in that time period, um, there's this one person, uh, there's a brand called LRG. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they they had this Asian owner, and when I was a kid, and I'd see, I'd see him because he he was around the area, and I'd see him in music videos and whatever, and he had gold chains, and he looked like a rapper, and he's Asian. I was like, all right, I want to be like that guy, because you never seen anyone like that. You're like, you know, he looks like he looks like a rapper, but he has more chains than the rappers. I want I want to be like that guy. That's Jonas, the late founder of one of the biggest streetwear companies yeah. ever. Of course. LRG. Yes. Yeah. And they happen to be based in Orange County. That's kind of why you, exactly. you kind of saw them in various circles. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, that That dude's cool. Okay. Yeah. So you're doing the real estate appraisal. When does that stop? Because eventually you started your own clothing line. Yep. Uh, I did the real estate thing for uh, a little over two years. And then I had my friend, Michael, who was starting his clothing brand. Uh, it was called Accentuate at the time. And with Accentuate, he called me, he hit me on aim like, hey, can you, uh, <laughs> I, need a, I need a model, you know? Like, can you, can you do it for me? I was like, not a model, dude. I'll give you free clothes. I was like, free clothes, what do you, where, okay, what do you need me to do? I'm down, <laughs> I'm down for the cause, let's go, let's do this. So I ended up doing the photo shoot and me and Michael have like, we had a really good connection and he's like, I need to get an office space. Do you wanna, do you just wanna, you guys wanna share one with me? You can do your real estate here and I'll do my clothing in there. And that room is literally, the size of this room. Wow. So we're in a small conference room yeah. now. In Costa, in Costa Mesa. So Michael's had Michael's on that side of the room and then we're in this side of the room. And you could see me every single day like, hey, Mike, what do you need help on? Like, I'll help you out. Um, do you need me help fold clothes? Oh, how do you do design this? So I was getting more intrigued and you could see me losing focus on this. I was like, I don't want to do this. I'd rather, this is so much cooler. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not making anything, but I'd rather be doing this. Yeah. And um, he had a partner at the time and they end up having fallout. Um, and he's like, you know, what? I'm, I'm working on another brand. And the brand happened to be called Arisu. Uh-huh. And I'm like, hey, let me, let me, let me be a part of it. Let me be an owner of this with you. I'll put you know, the money I have and I'll, I'll, I'll start it up with you. And he's like, no. I'm like, what do you mean, no? I'm helping you. I'm, I, I, I can do a good job. He's like, I don't think you're ready. So I'm like, you know, fuck this guy. <laughs> I'm gonna learn what I need to learn, and I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go out and start my own brand. So I go back to Polo. I'm like, hey, Polo, I got this great idea. We can start our own clothing brand, and we're gonna destroy Michael. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's how it started. I knew you were an intern slash yeah. someone who helped at at Arisu, which yeah. is also a, a fairly large streetwear brand yeah, the, in its own right. Huge and, at the time, yes. Uh, so, okay, so so you know, it became like it became like it became like a it became like a war, you know, between the two brands for a long time, and. And everything they do, I, you know, if they did something, I had to step my game up. I was like, okay, I'm gonna step my game up, and I'm gonna go after them, because you know they're like they don't want me around. They don't want they don't like me. Like it's war. I'm ready to I'm ready to fight. So uh, at its peak, it was at your clothing was distributed in over like a thousand stores. Was that yeah? Right? We were you know we were carried in the majors um, like Zoomies, the Tillies, the Paxsons, um, uh, big distributors around the world. You know, we're Japan, Europe, Australia. We had the big, the biggest accounts over there, and um, it was a crazy time. What did it ever get ugly between you guys and Arisu? Like, if it was like a warring, and it's you guys are down the block from each other. Yeah. Orange County's not a big place, but it birthed a lot of huge brand, a lot of iconic brands that we all wear come out of Orange County. So that's got to be an exciting time. Does it ever get beefy between you guys? It got beef. Me, and Michael, always we, regardless of you know, me talking like you know, like fuck, I'm gonna take that guy out. Like me and him, were always had a great relationship. Like we always hung out even through that entire period. Mm-hmm. But some of the um, other members oh. were not very fond of me. So, damn. Uh, but they happened to be pretty big in the scene too. So like, 
Mr. Wally and me didn't have it. We were, we had a fallout, you know, because we were friends at Arisu at the time. And, yeah. you know, when I left, it kind of like, like, you know, are you serious? You're, you're, you're leaving? Like, and then me and him, you know, it was like, like, it was like, fuck this guy all the time. At the trade shows, it was like, no, nah, no, nah, don't, don't. Like, everyone would talk to each other except, like, me, Wally, and. So, and Wally was the marketing director at the time at Arisu, the company that inspired you there. Yeah. And then. Wally is now no longer in fashion, but yeah. in, in food, in food yeah. as well, and which is really close great. friends. And you guys are good. <laughs> they my wit, you know. So, yeah. would you say that it was the comment that you mentioned from Michael? You're not ready. Yeah. Was that the fire that oh. kind of just lit you to build that brand? Kind of no matter what. Of course, that was, was that the defining reason almost more than anything else that's why i kept it going i kept it going longer than the rest you know like 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 they had their own oc click and they always pushed us out of it and we're like you know what forget you know fuck you guys we're, we're going after it we're you guys we're gonna make you like we're gonna be in your everyone's gonna mention our name we're gonna be stuck in your head all the time you're gonna you're gonna go crazy well it was wild because as i'm king grew it's in all these stores yep. all the celebrities are wearing it yep. i was looking up to it yep. that's how i met you yep what point does it what point does it end like when when is the writing on the wall because because i remember and why i bring up we met at that time is we met over food which is i love bringing it back we meet good people over food all the time and we had a sit down dinner it was me or lunch me you a couple other people from streetwear Mm -hmm. and i remember i i had a streetwear line at the time it was a joke it was fun fly robot (laughs) but i look over i look over at andy and i'm looking at someone that like he's where i want to be in streetwear like this dude's in a thousand stores i'm in one in in my mom's like basement like that's that's how i'm selling stuff so i asked andy i was like yo man like how do you do it what's next what's big and andy turns to me jeff and he goes dude i don't know man i i think i might be out soon and I was like, what? And he was like, dude, streetwear? I don't I don't know where it's going. This is scary. He he mentioned some shit about retail that I didn't understand. That like the right this is right before the economy like took a shit. Yeah. And he was like, I'm already looking at other things. He's like, this is scary. And this is the person I'm looking up to to pursue this path. And he's he's leaving. And I, do you remember that? Yeah, I remember we were all leading together with loud and obnoxious. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're the few other brands that are now defunct that are all the owners are doing great things. Yeah. Um, but over Persian food that day, I was like, damn, like, is streetwear not all it's cracked up to be? Because <laughs> if you follow the, the trajectory of people like Andy and the hundreds and LRG is streetwear is cool and fun. You design shirts with your friends. You sell it. You make a lot of money. You go to bottle service. You pop it. You yeah. celebrate. And then, but when I saw that look in Andy's eyes, I was like, that shit might not be real. Hmm. And then shortly after you you started after's ice cream like or no a few years after so Um, what happened what happened how do you go from a thousand stores to like winding the company down and dealing with that you had a lot of major during the recession you know like everyone was stopped you know orders are getting less and Mm. stores are shutting down you had like this big chain like metro park had like 100 plus doors and that disappears and and you haven't ordered through them with a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars and now they now you sent in the order and now they kept it and they're not paying you and you know those things add up over time and uh being in fashion it's so it's in streetwear it's so fast changing all the time and us being kid we're still kids at the time you know running a brand and learning how to do production and not understanding it um getting screwed over by retailers you know karma loop was one of the biggest ones and they ended up you know they fell apart and they owed people tons of money like us 
and that that made me look to different options like this is this is crazy i'm not this doesn't make sense you know i'd rather do i'd rather look for something a little safer than this then so while i'm king was open were you looking at those options is that and how, how does ice cream become the next foot forward um if a lot of people that followed i'm king we always we had a blog yeah and on the blog we'd share stories all the time um, with I'm King, you know, we shared a lot of like our personality. You know, we made little joke videos all the time, but we'd also share a lot of food. I don't always share the food places I eat at. Yeah. So I was already like the pre-food blogger. You know, I was already like doing that already and sharing the places. But what I started noticing was I'd get emails all the time like, "Oh, thank that place is fire! Like that place is so good! Like thanks for recommending that place." And then all my friends would start hitting me up. I'm flying to New York. What's the top five places to eat? And I'd be like, D-d-d-d-, you know, because I've eaten pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And since I'm eating out so much, I'm getting all these ideas because I'm like, dude, they have all these amazing things outside of Orange County. We don't have anything cool here. We don't, you know, we don't have that, those things here. And I kept like, jotting down, drawing ideas up. And the ice cream was like, I was like, this is like probably the easiest one to get into. Uh, this is the funnest one. Uh, I like ice cream. I like you know. Play, I have a lot of cool ideas like on on vibe that I could do, and I ran around throwing ideas out to all my friends. I was literally giving away the idea because I didn't think I was gonna do it. <laughs> At one point, I was like, I'm you know, I'm stuck in fashion. I'm probably gonna do other fashion stuff. I don't know, but I'm in fashion forever. I even threw the idea to this guy, to, to Eli, <laughs> okay. at one point. It's funny. Apparently, I was visiting Andy, his clothing store. They actually had a location in Santa Ana when we moved, and I went to go visit, and I was yeah. just saying, what's up? And I now I remember we're, like, in an alleyway outside of his store. Yeah. And, and I, he, got the, I got this ice cream idea, and I'm pitching it to him. I'm like, yeah, you should do the ice cream concept. It'll kill it. And he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, cool, okay. <laughs> so like, right. But then I was like, but that was, it was not just Eli. It's like everyone that I was telling, I was telling like my closest friends, like, hey, you should do this. It's like, it's, it's not that hard. Um, but even that, at that, that, when we had the I'm King store, we were supposed to take that store on 4th Street where the, the leverage used to be, right? Yeah. And there, there's two spots right next to it. I think Clearweather was next to it. And we were going to make, um, Ryan Chase, remember, because I was talking to him about this before. Uh, we were going to make, uh, an ice cream store out in front, and then the I'm King store was supposed to be like a speakeasy clothing, like kind of like bodega, like a shop. And we wanted to do kind of that concept, yeah. But end up falling through, and when the fight happened with Santa Ana and things kind of fell apart, then we kind of just. Oh yeah, you, you just mentioned a lot of things that people at home might need to unpack. But yeah. the the cornerstone of it is, is you were trying to pitch this afters idea. No one was biting. No one was biting. Okay, so then how do you meet? You meet Scott after one of your one of your co-founders of yeah. Afters Ice Cream. Well, me and Scott have known each other since we were kids. So, okay, like we've been going to elementary school since second grade, um, so we have a long history together. Nice. But, the, but then we just happened to be eating dinner and kind of throwing out our ideas. He had a dessert concept. I had an ice cream concept, and we kept like, oh, this we're feeding each other like ideas back and forth. And he's like, let's do it. I was like, oh, this, this you know, now let's let's go for it. And then we start, you know, we're at the gym on uh, Brookhurst and Talbert. Um, I think it was LA Fit, it was Valleys before we, it was Valleys. And then we work out every day. We're like, we're going to make this happen. We're going to, we're going to do this ice cream thing. And he's like, I'm going to go find us a location. And he ended up finding it. And we ended up, we ended up giving it a try. And I was still doing it. I'm king at the time. Yeah. So you still, you have your day, ju- basically was, your day job. Yeah. I was juggling because after this was literally like, we were both, we're, do- we're both doing fine still. Like we're, we're, you know, we, we didn't need to do this. It was like our hobby. Like, it was just something to work on together, a place to hang out. And we launched it, uh, opened in February, 2014. Um, 
little hole in the wall little in a strip mall. Yeah, we opened in February thinking like, you know, it's, it's still cold, it's the winter, no one's gonna come, it's gonna give us time to learn this process and and um, by this time summer hits, we'll be ready for it. Next thing you know, you got lying down the block or every single day, two, three hours, and we're like in the store like, oh crap, like, uh-oh, we need to change processes, I gotta jump to a trade, I have a trade show coming up, I have to, like after grand opening, I have to go to Vegas for the, the trade show. Yeah. And a trade show for clothing. I King. Yeah, for I'm King. <clears throat> So when you're seeing the when you're seeing the lines two to three hours at yeah. afters, yeah. and then you're jumping on a plane to go to, I mean at that time I'm also assuming the trade shows are getting smaller. It's the, changing. The, like there's just e-commerce is doing its thing within retail. Um, when 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 do you start thinking about can we push afters further if I if I spend more time with it? I think once it took off already, we, it was already in our heads. Mm. Um, so we started, you know, um, planning to shop it to buy other um, interested buyers of the brand. And uh, I think we sold it a little less than a year after we opened Afters. So you sold on King. Yeah, off but we stopped already operating. Into after in the, into Afters, we were still operating for a little bit, but we started like slowly like getting. We wanted to make sure that all our team was getting new gigs everywhere else. So we want to make sure we took care of them. Mm-hmm. So once we took care of them, then we could be like, we're good, everyone's good. Why? So a lot of the uh, either colleagues of yours mm-hmm. or people that worked at Afters under you, or worked at uh, I'm King under mm-hmm. you went on to do great things as well. Yep. What is it about streetwear, if you will, that mm-hmm. like created such awesome business people? You know, people in streetwear, we're, we're like, we're running. We're like it's like gorilla. We're like we're on the ground. Like we're on the ground. We know what's going on. We know what's out there. We're we're ready to do anything to make it work. You know. And I think that when you apply those skills of do whatever it takes, and you apply that to almost every industry, you, you'll be fine. And streetwear is a very very tough industry to break. You know, it's like zero point you know, point zero 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 one. You're gonna make it. Yeah. Because everyone every day there's like thousands of new brands out there. But if you can make a dent in it, and you apply the same skills to any other industry. It's magic. It, it's insane what's come out of your team even, yeah. just your team. So what did you guys apply immediately to afters? Because I think we're, I don't, we don't have to go into super weeds on it, mm-hmm. but sounds easier said than done to just have lines down your block on of opening day of, of an ice cream store in the middle of winter. I'll go more into detail on that, why that happened to you. Yeah, so uh, why, why, why were there lines out the store? Um, if you go in the, if you walked into Afters the first time the, from the design work we had Brian Temple which was I'm King's um, creative director at the time he's the one that de- you know helped design the look of that original store where we were playing together off of um, black and whites for and Chanel and Apple stores were trending heavy at the time and we were trying to apply that streetwear aesthetic to ice cream you know mm. from the look of the store to the colors of the ice cream um, to the music playing the speakers to the type of you know type of staff that was working um, we wanted to give it like this loud, like we're supposed to be like the bad boys of ice cream. And people were so curious at the time, you know, they're like, and and he's going into, he's, he's opening an ice cream shop, what's going on? Like in the street where the guys, yeah. what, what, what is this, what's happening? And then I called you guys, I called you up, I'm like, yeah. hey, can you can you write about this? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> I was well, like, I could do that much, I didn't invest yeah. in your company, so. <laughs> and then, yeah, and you guys came through and you guys posted it and Huffington Post, picked it up from you guys and yeah. Kate, uh, OC Weekly saw it from you guys and y- so Yahoo saw it from that and mm-hmm. after that it was just like a whirlwind storm of media and the lines just getting crazier and crazier and crazier 
How long was that media storm for you guys? Because, um, I mean, we saw the periphery. Yes. Um, we know that our coverage went bananas. I mean, I think mainly over the milky bun. People yes. excited about a form, two formats coming together that no one had packaged in the same way. Which we should talk about. A, a milky bun, guys, because we don't have to go into super depth, but it's what kind of stood... For me, as a food blogger, I cared less about the aesthetic of the store and more about these guys are have donuts that are warm but they're filled with cold ice cream and like i went i ran with that narrative but you guys had a what's so great about your guys's business is that you thought more about the aesthetic as well like you know how to get people in the door and we've seen our videos or photos or articles help bring people into a store Mm -hmm. the key on the entrepreneur end is how do you keep them there of course and so I think that's what we'll pick up. It's just so everyone knows what a milky bun is. Yeah. <laughs> just in case you haven't tried one yet, go try it. It's fucking awesome. So and how long? Was, yeah. So how long was that media cycle on your end? It lasted a long time. For, I know nonstop for the first three months was nonstop. Like every day we're filming with the a channel from Japan, or we have the cooking channel here, or we have you know like every day like another news station. This and for the first three months were like a Vietnamese channel, just nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. But then. We'd open more. We'd open the next doors, and we'd still get me- another media rush again, and you know, hype beasts and blah blah blah, and and the lines get crazier. <laughs> still going, dude. So, it's so funny. I couldn't get anyone to fucking write about Fly Robot, my clothing line. <laughs> but as soon as we start doing food, you have every news publication knocking on our door, and I feel. Everyone. I mean, you guys got love and hype as a streetwear line, but yeah. like, I can't. Do you? Was it way different? On the food end, it was because everyone, you know, because you're doing clothing. I was only catering to a certain audience, mm. but everyone loves ice cream. So this, like, <laughs> I was like, I'm applying the same thing to everyone now. Okay, I got it. Like, let's go. That shit's wild. I'm curious what you think, Eli, because I honestly think I've never seen like a media, an organic media initiative that took at least the U.S. media and some international partners, but, like, the U.S. media by storm in a way ever again. And I I say that because it was right at a time where broadcast media, still super powerful. Yeah. Digital media wasn't the highest level. Like, digital media is really strong today. But it was high enough to have impact across print, radio, mm-hmm. TV. Yeah. And a lot of the leads from Yahoo or Huffington Post were coming from digital upstarts and then getting flipped. Yeah. And those flips would be really powerful because they were huge audiences, right? Like Yahoo homepage back in 2014. Oh, it's cracking, son. Yo, like that, no joke. That, that was probably worth a million dollars to your business we were celebrating you know we were like we were going crazy we're like i was like are you serious we're like we're on this thing like that was insane but i but i don't i've never seen that again on that level and again i know we were kind of eye of the storm and so we were looking at it but but it's a it was a perfect time of course time exactly you after you andy and and Mm -hmm. scott you guys were the cronut killer yeah so like the cronut from Dominique Ansel's Bakery was one of the largest hyped food items. And that was at a time, it was a croissant donut hybrid at the time. And I think America had never really had a food trend like that ever, like on any medium. 
right? Like yeah. the whole country kind of talking about one new thing within food. It yeah. had never happened. Mm-hmm. There were never people that would talk about it, mm-hmm. right? But like Andy kind of grew up and, and grew within the Yelp age where you go and you talk about food in a new way, where it used to be relegated to kind of like gypsies who wrote about food <laughs> and took photos <laughs> on Polaroid cameras, right? But like here is like, Food Beast is just Food Beast is just built to talk about what's new, and people still didn't get that. Yeah. Um, so that's why when you guys came about, I think it was the perfect time. People understood how to talk about food on the internet thanks to the cronut. Yep. Then people were thirsty for the next thing. It can't be the cronut forever. That's so specific. The ramen burger was like right after that. Ramen burger, and then sure enough, boom, the we, milky bun. Yeah, we hit it, and we you know we hit it differently because the cronut was like. By a chef-driven, you know, like a chef-driven, like bake, you know, a, a known baker, and we were these streetwear kids, yeah. you know, coming in with this different aesthetic and more something more approachable, um, and I think that's why it hit so well, and at the time that it worked. And y'all were doing weird shit, like you would throw. F- race car parties in your parking lot where like the sheriffs and helicopters would come SWAT would shut it down because like kids are coming out people from the dance community that like maybe saw I'm King on like these big shows and all the celebrities wearing it you had a bunch of co-founders that also had their own followings and you guys were wiling out in a parking lot over fucking ice cream and cars like you you were whether you knew it or not were becoming slightly like those bad boys of Ice cream, if you will, yeah. and who who was before like Baskin Robbins, yeah, like Cold Stone, and that's who you had, and those are the brands that we were like, you know, we don't, we're gonna, we're gonna do our own thing completely different from them. Can you talk about the marketing tactics within fashion surrounding mm-hmm. how you guys drop a line um, and or uh, a season, mm-hmm. and how that affected how you marketed and and dropped a menu item yeah. because. For anyone that's listening that's in food now, I mean, I think food drops are just a part of the nomenclature. It's a part of uh, regular marketing activities, but... It's not how it was. It's not how it was. was. It's not how it was. It's not how it was. We did, you know, in clothing, you do... You'd preview the drops, you know, you'd mm-hmm. talk about it, you'd share the stories on the blogs and, you know, with Hypebeast, and you'd talk about the collection, put the theme together, and then you'd figure out what people get got the most excited about. And then once you knew, you know, once you figured out which, which one was going to hit, you started pushing it heavy. And that's kind of what we applied to after, you know, like, oh, we knew aesthetically this blue ice cream named the Cookie Monster is going to go nuts. Like, this is going to be for sure the number one flavor. Like, we knew it already. And you can't. You can't go across. You can't go to a new ice cream store now without seeing a blue ice cream. You know, now it's mm. like the norm. At that time, you know, people, you know, like I remember talking to our partner John, and John was like, "No one's gonna buy blue ice cream." I was like, "Yeah, they are." He's the he's your ice cream maker, your exactly. partner, the yeah. old white man, right? Old white man. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Colonel Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> Santa look, Claus. Yeah, he does yeah. look like Colonel. Yeah. Um, the first the first week of opening, he wouldn't make it. He kept pretending like oh i forgot to make it blue and i'm like john you need to make it blue <laughs> he's like no like i feel weird making it blue i was like john it's called cookie monster it needs to be blue and once he did he made it blue that became like 20 times the next uh, selling more than the next even the closest flavor after that so now like anytime i mention a flavor now he goes 
I'm not saying anything. <laughs> well, Ever. I, I think it's an interesting part of your narrative because John is the legacy ice cream maker. Yes. He's the dude that had the ice cream store that you guys eventually co-opted and then Correct. and then created afters out of. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes to your narrative of everything that you kind of go into is you don't really have experience. No. In those like you weren't you didn't go to fashion school and you started a fashion line. No. You aren't a chef and you started multiple restaurants. Yep. You didn't know shit about real estate. You weren't even good in school. No. And here you are like crunching numbers and being a financial analyst, if you will, yeah. to, to get people prices appraise. on a home yeah. and appraise. So yeah. like, why I think that's interesting is like sometimes there's a there's a value in, in being an incumbent and understanding an industry. And then there's a value in not knowing shit about it. Of course. And then like kind of coming in like there needs to be blue ice cream because it looks good. Of course. And then a, a legacy ice cream maker or chef is like, that's gonna be disgusting. That's yeah. not part of our normal ice cream talk. Of course. That's not good. Which would be very similar to you guys, because you started in clothing and you were you know, managing a music artist. <laughs> and yeah. now you guys have a food media company. You guys didn't know anything about probably food or media at the time. You just kind of picked it up along the way and yeah. developed your skill set. Yeah, we didn't know shit. And that's what was fun about Food Beasts is we had no idea about food. And even in clothing, I remember I actually took Fly Robot to Jeff's house. I was like, bro, I need a, a sales dude. <laughs> and Jeff was like, he looked at the he, he looked at the line. He was really nice about it. He said it kind of looks cool. Out of and my then, trunk. And then he, do you remember this, Jeff? I do. You I actually do like pounded doors, yeah. like, and yeah. you like. I was like, I don't know how to do that. Like, I can't. I can't talk to people like that. I don't have like. I don't have it in me. I'm not that personal a yeah. guy to go talk about the line. Yeah. And so it is fun. It's a good like learning point that like. If you're interested in something, you mm. could just go after it and you might actually bring something to whatever industry that might be. Of course. But just because you didn't go to school for it or you don't think you have the skill set for it, asking questions and just trying shit, you could you could figure it You'll out. You'll figure it out. Okay, so after this blows up, mm-hmm. did you realize at the time, like 25 stores, what's the plan? Why do you, like, are you not making enough money from one? Are you deciding between franchising? What's going on? A year in. A year in. Uh, a year in, we were getting ready to open our second store in okay. Chino Hills. But then, even at the first store, the first three months, you'd have people coming up to us, like, very skeptical. Like, oh, this is this is a fad. It's not going to last. And for us, we are like, we didn't even, you know, this wasn't, we weren't even planning for this to happen. We, you know, we just, just did, did, it. did what we thought was cool. We wanted a place to hang out, and hopefully people would enjoy what we, we made. But it just, it took off a lot crazier than it did. And when we got the opportunity to do Chino Hills, a place that before that, I only been, I've only been to Chino Hills once before that. Like, I don't even know why I was there, but I was there once. And we were nervous even opening that location. We're like, dude, we don't know anybody here. This entire shopping center is so dead. I'm sitting here at four in the afternoon calling Scott and Bolo like, guys, nobody's here. We're, we're screwed. I don't know what's gonna happen if we open here. Who picked Chino? Um, John actually found some, like, I think it was a relative that he knew that saw it was available. It was like an old bakery before that. So it was an easy flip, you know, for us. And that store outdid Fountain Valley. And we're like, oh shit, like we ha- we're onto something here. So now let's figure out how to scale this thing. Mm-hmm. So I think from there, you know, that at that time I was like getting ready. So I'm king off already. And now it's like prime to focus on scaling that. And all eyes were on us at the time in, 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 within other entrepreneurs and people kept reaching out um, about different ideas or projects. And we also had our um, try it or diet where we were posting about other, you know, other food places. That's an Instagram account that you yeah. guys were highlighting. And what was the reasoning behind that? 
um well we we saw you guys getting free we saw we we're like oh food beast gets all this free shit <laughs> you know? and i was like i want i want free shit and that's literally why we started right so we're like you know we're literally like in my apartment at home like me and scott have this like um little photos thing and we're buying like grocery items we're like taking pictures and like writing about we had a website at the time, yeah, like, yeah. We up, you know and we were posting pictures but we start when we start <laughs> eating out <laughs> this is really what happened <laughs> uh we started, you know, we started eating at other people's places, and we, what we started noticing was that they'd message us or they, you know, reach out to us and go, "Hey, our our sales have been booming since you guys been posting about us." And our heads, we're like, "Bling! <laughs> oh, we're turning into this, we're going to become a marketing consulting company now. We're gonna mm-hmm. we're changing this thing up. Like we're gonna get paid for this. Like if you want us to like promote, you know, whatever, we're you know we need to now we need to turn this thing into another business thing, and that. Damn. Yeah. Okay, so now you're you're kind of seeing the right on the wall to like. You can help other restaurants out. Yep. After just taking off, mm-hmm. we don't. And can I jump in real quick? Because do you still have an active role within Afters right now? I have my role is not as I'm not the uh, the day to day there anymore. I come in for our board meetings. Um, I work on the big collaborations, and I'll bring those in. Um, but I'm more like I kind of bring my like ideas and advisor role where I, I chose to like step back a little so I can do a bunch of other things. That was my goal. Like yeah. We can go into that more. Yeah. And so in that, so from an afters perspective, there's still activity. There's potentially still a stakeholder, yep. but you're not day to day on the brand. No, which is impossible. I wouldn't be able to do everything if I was there day to day. Well, how soon into afters mm-hmm. you, you sell I'm King about a year in, you yep. guys are opening your second store. Of course. At what point are you like, dude, I want to start other restaurants. Like, I want to take what I learned at Afters and this clout. You had a ton of clout. Mm-hmm. You still do, obviously. And I'm going to open up another place. Like, mm-hmm. what was that place? And then how soon after Afters? We were in negotiations with this one family that owned a, um, a tea shop. Like, they owned a called Fusion Tea Bar. And they mm-hmm. owned, I think, three locations at the time. And they wanted to... They came, I, they came up to us first asking about opening another afters and we're like, no, we're not gonna, no, we don't need another partner for this. Um, but they wanted to change their concept. So we're like, oh, we can help you change your concept. And in between that, we had our buddies um, that had a food truck called GD Bro Burger. Right. And you know, they're visiting us all the time. They're like feeding our team. And they're like, oh, we just filmed with the Food Network um, for the great food truck race, right? So we're sitting with them and we're like, what are you guys gonna do now? Like, how are you gonna capitalize on this? And they're like, we don't know. Well, you need to open a store. And they're like, we don't, we don't know how to do that. So we're like, okay, well, we'll we'll find a location for you. We'll get the store open before the show airs. Wow. And that was like four months before the show was getting ready to air, like three, four months. Yeah. And then we we ended up find, putting together this group and partnering up, and we opened the GD Bro location down in Santa Ana. So who who were those partners? You and Scott? And yeah, there's Paul? Scott, there's Kevin and Mark, who are the the founders of right. GBRO, and Kevin's uncle's on the board. And we had my buddy um, Duck, who you, you met previously, yeah. and and another partner. Well, I'm probably not going to name. Uh, well, <laughs> so that's a legally, lot of partners. Right? There's a lot. So it's it's a lot of partners, and um, to my knowledge, like afters, mm. there's an ice cream partner. You, Scott. And potentially other people involved. Yeah, there's, there's other people involved. Yeah. Your childhood friend Polo. And, and so when you're thinking about doing more concepts, um, had you had you experienced 
partner disputes within I am King, within afters, within anything up up to this point? And I don't think let's go there first. Yeah. Did you experience any partner disputes before you jumped into the restaurants that you had even more uh, partners up, in? Up to that point, no, we have not experienced it yet. Okay. So we haven't experienced it yet. For I'm King, like Polo, like you know, I, I have Polo businesses yeah. up to this day, and that's like I've known him since eighth grade, and he's like the best partner ever. So I kind of like. You know, I was like, so like, oh, if he's a partner like this, everyone should be amazing yeah. like Polo. Yeah. You know, he's like, you no, know, he's behind the scenes. Like, without him, I wouldn't be here today. Um, but uh, so I assume like everyone's like Polo. Like, oh, this guy, you know, this, this guy's like the backbone of everything. He's amazing. Like, if I can do this forever, I'm going to keep working on, on different projects. Yeah. You know, along the way, I, I figured out different things. Well, you learned that you probably curated cult. Po- uh, unbeknownst to you, it's yeah. like that's your friend of many years. Like you have time to find out if that person is a good person, exactly. if that dude brings quality. So then I could see how that's almost like blinding in the future. Like everyone's dope. Yeah, everyone's dope. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this, is, this is easy. Like let's keep going. Because I think yeah. where I want to go with Jeff's question too is like, how do you find partners? Because I know the partners vary. On you have fifteen projects, and yeah. each one can vary slightly. So, right. um, we could talk about some of those partner disputes, or we and and we can talk about how you. have found those partners so gd bro we understand yeah. now mm-hmm. what what came next did, did you guys see that store you saw the store open right yeah i was there for the the, the grand opening of the store and it was it was super strong and we ended up opening a second location the second location is still currently open to this day uh-huh. um but there were the team just didn't you know, team we didn't have that magic together like we didn't mesh well no one agreed on things like this wasn't the concept like this wasn't the concept i imagine this wasn't the the two boys founders this was this was their vision for it on the long run and things just kept falling apart so there were like disputes and wars and arguments and that those meetings all the time and and that kind of that's how that that fell apart because that brand had a lot of potential like we're getting ready to sign our third location um sales are continuing to increase but then that team just didn't mesh and so we kind of started just everyone started like slowly disbanding and we at that same time because of afters, you're, mm-hmm. I'm imagining, and the and you're such a personable guy, and I feel like for the people that know you, you're you're a text, you're a lunch, you're a dinner away, because you're just de- you're just down to converse. Yeah. That's how I think your relationship with us has always been. Mm-hmm. Is if we think of you and we're like, hey, you want to catch up? Like you're down. Yeah. Which is what I'm imagining over the course of post afters. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of conversations where mm-hmm. people are like, "Yo, man, I got an idea. <laughs> You're awesome. Will you vet this? Do you want to be a part of this? Will you market this? Right. What were you doing to vet those decisions, and how were you learning from the situation like GD, bro? Of course, I think um, we, I started playing with the same partners on certain projects mm-hmm. that I felt more comfortable with. And yeah, people were messaging me all the time, like reaching out. And there's, even though I have 15 concepts, honestly, I could probably have a hundred if I wanted to right now, but there's a lot of people I was like, no, I'm not gonna do it. It doesn't make sense. If you're just, if you're not trying to build a relationship with me, cause it's like you're getting into marriage and I'm happened to be in 15 marriage, marriages. <laughs> um, uh, but I had to, it took a, it took a, it's a learning experience. You know, even to this day, like I'm picking at different things. I'm like, I'm looking for a specific partner that can, you know, handle operations that understand um, kitchen that have a great personality to lead the team correctly. Um, you know, sometimes I, I find a special talent out there that I, I want to like take on. I'm like, hey, you should, you know, you should do this. I think you're great for the, like these things. 
what's the goal with the restaurants? The like, because rest- that's a lot of restaurants. Of course. Uh, you know, I just wanted to. I just wanted to give a lot of different people opportunity. Um, I saw so much talent from like Chef Fernando. Like he's, yeah. you know, he's amazing. You know, he's great. He's he's a great, wonderful personality. Like I could hang out with him all the time. Like you know, we like. And he's like, a chef in multiple of your concepts. Yeah, uh, two right of our right? concepts: Groundhouse Burger and uh, Portside. Okay. And you know, like I didn't uh, originally when we start, we launched Portside together. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I wasn't gonna do it. I was like, no, nah, I got too many concepts. I'm not gonna do it. And he's like, let me cook for you one day. And he cooked for me like at his like right around the corner over here, yeah, really his cool. old his old spot. And he brought his calamari out and his fish tacos, and I'm like, damn it, <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Like, let's sign me up. Yeah. And that's a sleeper brand. That that brand does crazy amount of sales. Like, it's a sleeper. Like, we and that we wanted that way. We didn't want to, you know, we didn't want the the hype train, the hype of- train of like how to like trying to figure out how to live up to those things all the time. Um, that brand has an expansion mode. The expansion mode's about to go like heavy, but that brand's a sleeper brand that does very, very well. Portside Fish Co. Yeah, Portside Fish Co. Yeah, yeah. it's delicious. I, I love Portside Fish Co. Yeah. It's probably one of the most uh, sessionable of your concepts, yeah. meaning like you could have it a lot and, yeah, you can and have not all really, get, really get sick of it. Yep. Uh, and I don't necessarily think we got the, the time to go through the 15 concepts, <laughs> but can you, get, can you give a macro view of how many restaurant openings that you've been in? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the I think the big thing that people don't necessarily know, uh, because as humans, it's it's hard for us to to broadcast or when we have speed bumps. Yep. Um, can you give a realistic picture of the hardships that you've been through too, and the closures you've been through Absolutely. because? Cause yeah, man, I think everyone knows afters, and yeah. everyone knows twenty-five locations, and everyone knows that you're involved with tons of restaurant brands. Mm-hmm. Um, but give me a picture: how many restaurants you've been a part of? How many of you have had to have closed for whatever reason? Yeah. And you- are you still excited about restaurants? Yeah, well, I'll totally go into all that. <laughs> I'll give the good and bad. I'll give you the good parts and the bad parts. Um, uh, the bad parts that I've been through, like I've had. You know, it's hard to name names because you know it's it's tough. But I've been in projects where partners were stealing stealing money. You know, like Oof. and then they would change. They would I'd come in check on it, and they'd change signs from taking um, credit cards to not taking credit cards and cash oh, only. Shit. And then we'd see, you know, like we checked cameras, and the numbers start changing, and we're like, this doesn't match up to food costs. And then there's a project called Noodle Noodle, by the way. This is our, our noodle project on uh, Little Saigon that we opened, and then. We kept seeing the uh, quality start kept changing, and it wasn't up to par to what we wanted. And they kept forcing opening, and I think the last draw was like the day after New Year's. We had a car run into the store, literally a car ran into the store, and you know I was like, you know what, this bad juju is is bad now. Let's get out. So we end up selling the location. So things like that, like stealing, you know. That's crazy. I just thought I, I thought that location got run into twice randomly, and yeah, that's why I was like, oh shit, that's probably yeah. why they closed. Yeah. So no, we you know we had stealing and quality changes, quality control, like, and we didn't have you know the right team, so we're like, you know, let's get rid of this thing. But we've also had projects that had major success. You know, we had Pro- uh, Project Poke, which you know killed it in sales, did super well, and we got a great offer. So we were like, you know, I need to get, and I don't, and for myself, I didn't see Poke being scalable. So I was like, you know, I'm. I'm so, I'll take the money. I'll get paid for it. You know, this is, that's a win. That's a win for me. I'll uh-huh. take that W right now. Like, pay me out. I'll go do something else. Do uh, you, 
is it with that amount of with the amount of concepts that you had under your belt at that time mm-hmm. do you think like something like that noodle project yeah. kind of fell through the cracks because like you you onboarded too many partners too quick you didn't have the chance to vet you couldn't be at those stores at all that time Th- those partners were the same group as some of the g bro partners so we had multiple projects together so we signed on like we had a big restaurant, like a million dollar build out in Huntington Beach that we ended up never opening. We ended up selling off before we opened just because it was finding about that, that operating partner who was stealing uh. and everything. So we're like, you know what, forget it. We had this, um, the loop location was supposed to be like a dim sum, like a night, like a cool, like 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 future version of dim sum that we wanted to do. And, you know, we ended up not doing it. We ended up selling, you know, selling the location off. Oh, wow. But there's a lot, like there's a lot of stuff. But that was like the same team. That's why, and that's my first experience of finding Bad what partner. bad partners are like and i was like oh okay this so this is the real world this is reality now so you're i mean you're go you're going through these fucking real life situations yeah. that are emotionally draining financially potentially affect you in real ways at any time are you looking at your own personal bandwidth mm-hmm. and looking at the potential dozens of partners that you have across concepts which is the text messages, the emails, phone the calls, phone calls, conferences, and are you like, fuck this? Because <laughs> like, I, I, I would be. I'm not saying you did that. I'm just saying I think I would be driven to a place where I don't know if that's something that I could handle, even if I was still getting tons of creativity through, you know, all the brands that I was creating. I think over time I've I figured out what I'm great at and figured out my skill set. And I, when I applied, to, when I work with these partners on these projects, I let them know this is what I'm gonna do. If you're looking at me to be in the kitchen every day, I'm not gonna do that. If you're looking at me uh, to be on the phone call every day, I'm probably not gonna do that. But what I can do is apply what I've learned through my experience um, and the people that I know within the industry, how to network you guys and, and put you guys in the right pe- places. Uh, this is what I can do for you guys. And I think with my like, I call it, I'm like the coach advisor of the team. Like I'll coach you through this. Like this is what you need to do. Uh, this is what you need to watch your, your food cost numbers. These uh, creative items you need to kind of put out items that are like this. You need to develop a core item menu like this. And I think it's like it's like I do it in my sleep. So it's, it's so normal for me. Like you know I've done it for forever. So it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like I'm over. I'm trying to do something I don't know how to do. So it's so easy. I'm like okay I can do this. I can figure. I can make this happen for you guys. Is, is 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 it as exciting for me these days in the food industry? Not as much anymore, it's changing. Um, I, I've told people this before, like, yeah, I I, I enjoy, I, I think the thing that sparks joy is being able to pl- provide platforms for these these partners. Like, you know, Gigi and Jen from Don Arrow, like they're, you know, they're, they're wonderful moms. They're they're the face of the company. Um, I got, bear, you know, bears, you know, put bear on the map in the food industry. You know, pe- like, you know, before that he was a paintball guy and now it's opened doors for him through different things. Um, Chef Mike and Chef Fernando, so much talent, and that I wanted to, you know, like put it out there. And I'm usually behind. I'm not the star. I'm not the. I kind of like. I don't need to be the star of the show. I just need to create, help you set up this platform, and then we'll figure it out together. You kind of found your groove, I think, with the bear, because I was so confused when you guys became partners. Very confused. I knew what I was looking for, you know, and I knew what I was going to bring at the, the industry at the time, and no one, no one has seen that when it, when we brought bear into the to the industry. But we knew what we were what was about to happen. Mm-hmm. That shit's crazy. I don't even know where to begin with there, but go ahead, Joe. 
do you guys see are you guys seeing positive so i mean for those that haven't listened uh eli and i had a great podcast with Gidio, who's uh heavy in not only i mean started with the paintball world but has evolved into not only his own personal brand but kind of being a dot connector across youtube and instagram for just across los angeles really um are you feeling the benefits of having kind of that level of new media dot connector in your business? Because I think the noise, yeah. and as we say, the smoke is uh, is being seen. Yeah, um, I'm curious if that's having uh, an impact based on you know pre bear, post bear. How's what's that doing for the business? Um, there's a lot of interest like a lot we're like in negotiations for a lot of deals with very high level people which if it happens i would love to announce later on but it's opened up a lot of doors for him and myself um and it adds another element to what we do and and things that other people and our our peers that aren't able to do the same thing like you know we have to because you know like let's just for example opening after you saw it when we first opened afters a year later you saw like 30 different similar afters right Yeah. yeah so we had to figure out how to how do we one up this so no one can keep up? Well, I'm gonna apply what I learned from streetwear. People love collaborations. People love working with things that they enjoy. So I was like, you know, I have this collaboration idea. I'm gonna link it up with streetwear brands. I'm gonna link it up with like Rick and Morty's. I don't know, and I'm gonna tie this in together and build things that no one else can do. Because who else is gonna be able to pull off a Rick and Morty? You're not gonna be able to. Yeah, that's an after's ice cream kind of. I, I feel like that's now become a cornerstone of your business. Of is that like the collaborations? You guys are almost as much a streetwear brand again yeah. yep. as you are an ice cream store. Of course. Um, and now in the the realm of with Bear, you know, we have we have this other tool that we can do. Like Bear can bring these celebrities through or these personalities that no one else would be able to do that. You can't, you know, Bear can, it's literally a phone call away from there, Bear. And that gives me another element from everyone else. It separates me from everyone else again. Do celebrities drive business? Yes, and it depends which celebrity. Well, yeah, because yeah. it, it sounds obvious, right? Like Justin Bieber shows up, of course this place is popular the yeah. next day, but I, we all know that's not the case and that's not the only way to drive people but like is that the model because i'm also trying to remember jeff and i were having this interesting conversation earlier about flexing as a marketing tactic mm-hmm. and from the streetwear days it used to be you would show off the car you drive the bottles you pop the industry parties that brands would throw like yeah. i'm king would probably throw something at excess in vegas during a trade show and, and you have that and that's the flex yeah. and then when afters come around and people like in your set were, you know, they drove nice cars. Like this is popping. It was car culture was a part of it. That was the flex. Well, and the flex became look at my line. Yeah. I feel like that mm. became like the restaurant flex. Right. Oh yeah. Like look at this two hour deep line that this person, this actual person, is waiting two hours of their day <laughs> yeah. to, to get yeah. ice cream here. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone was using like that was the goal of the grand opening and extended of the grand opening, right? Was deep, how deep's your line? Yeah. Which I thought was like kind of crazy because you're almost tricking the consumer that you want to wait in this line, yeah. right? Well, and, and that flex culture keeps changing. And like you and Scott, for example, have changed, I feel, grown up. Mm-hmm. And like... You guys don't talk about the cars you drive anymore. No. You guys don't. I never, I never flex. talked about the cars. You never a car person, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, so exactly, like the, yeah. that's a part of it too. Yeah. And then now I feel 
the new flex mm-hmm. is at least for Groundhouse Burger, yeah. like on Instagram, the whole marketing ploy is who's eating there, <laughs> right? Like yeah. who's eating there? It's this, the Dolan twins, is it uh, Jake Paul, yeah. is it this? But I'm curious, does that does that part of the business actually drive, that part of the marketing business mm-hmm. actually drive sales or is it the people that live in Irvine or Santa Ana that go there? No, it's definitely the, you know, like during the weekdays, it's, it's the people that live in the area and that's why I wanted to have a core menu, which we'll go to after. But yeah. um, the weekends, the magical burgers are being like, you know, even when I look at the magic, I'm like, are you serious? Like, you're coming for this? <laughs> She's dumb that's a, still, bro. That's like, you know, but that's two different things. Like, that's a partner that I brought from Bear. Like, if, when Bear put that item out, brought it to the table, when he first, him and Fernando worked on it, I came there, I was like, fuck, dude, I don't want to put this out. I'm not, I was like, I don't want to post about this shit. I'm not going to eat this. But then I saw that everyone's around the table was like, okay, we want this. And I'm like, and then I also understand that. Groundhouse is not just my business. It's a compromise. You know, yeah. It's a marriage. You get compromise. Yeah. So, you know, Bear, okay, you and Fernando, you get the magical burgers, but I get the crispy burger. So it's a compromise. Like, if, if it was my way, I'd only have that, you know, I'd cut out that entire menu. I don't have one burger. But yeah. since it's compromised, like, yeah, we get the fried roulette, roulettes, we get that that stuff. So it's a, Got it's it. a marriage. That we and so how, how long did it take you guys to learn that on the Groundhouse menu? Because And why I want to dive into it is because when you guys first open, mm-hmm. it's not your first burger concept. No. By stretch. Mm-hmm. It launches with like eight or nine different burgers, all of which I thought were really delicious. Yep. You got Western, you got you got a you, the Hawaiian burger, right. you got a Filipino burger, the whole nine. And then about like nine months into the business, you guys oh, scrap everything on the menu, take it all off, yeah. and you have a crispy burger. Yeah. And you have the magical burger. Yep. Like, how does that happen? How does that happen? So, if you got if you people follow me, you know. Before pre baby, I was tra- I went on the pre your baby, pre, pre my your baby, baby yeah. pre having a baby. I was traveling like a madman, you know, just like you know, I I've been working for four, you know fourteen fifteen years straight at the time. I like I need to go out. So after after I got married, I just kept traveling. I kept going wherever and studying and learning like different cultures, food, like anything I could pick up on. I, I'd go anyone you want to want to go here or you want to do a consulting gig here. I'm gone. I'm going. And now that I'm finally I was here for like the last few months, I got to reevaluate all my businesses. And you know, usually I'm I'm free with letting like the partners like here you do what you want to do, like you should be chef, you should be creative. And then I kind of sat with Fernando and looking at the menu, I was like, how much is our burger? How much are we selling that thing for? I was like, you can't scale that. And then I just and I was like, that's a ten dollar burger. Like those ten dollar burger days are like over. No one wants that. And I kept I kept talking to him about like, hey, you want you know you you wanted something that's you can grow you want something i was like my businesses that have done well are more approachable items um something that you can eat every day having a great core item and looking at your understanding your audience so i was like you know what we're gonna redo this thing i'm gonna scrap this we're gonna scrap this entire thing and i'm gonna show you i'm gonna drive you around show you these other places that have like great core menus and how they don't need to do marketing and doing and and it'll it'll work on its own it's building their own identity so you drove him to in and out Took him, I took him in and out. I took him everywhere. I took him everywhere. I, I took, took him to Oklahoma City, tried onion burgers with our friends over there. Mm. Um, took him down to San Diego, tried this place called Friendly. Um, everywhere, just to like give him a, an, a better idea of how to create a brand with an amazing core menu with your own identity and where you can scale it. And that's where you guys landed on kind of the crispy burger, yeah. which is a take on like a smash patty, yeah, like a very, smash patty, very smash thin really patty, and get it's very crispy, and you still have your own, you still have your elements of your classic stuff in there, yeah, uh, like tomatoes, diced onions, 
uh, house sauce. Yo, credit. It's yeah. it's delicious. Thank you. I had it, I had it the and other day. And that's what I wanted. You know, I, and usually, I'm, since I'm here now and not traveling as much, I'm definitely more in we're reworking the menus, trying to teach these guys about identity. But sometimes when you're working with chefs, like they're artists and you kind of don't want to tinker too much with what they do. Um, but if you're able to like show them the vision and give them, show them the, what, what's possible and they understand it, then it's easier to, to change things up. And I think they understood that. We didn't need it, Groundhouse is doing well. Like we didn't need to change up the menus. Like we were doing fine. We could probably scale to a few more locations, but I go, do you want to be at 20 locations or do you want to be at thousand, a thousand locations? Yeah. You know what I mean? And they answered. Yeah. Yeah. Thousand locations. Thousand sounds a lot better. <laughs> with a ton of, with the volatility that can happen with the amount of businesses you're a part of, mm-hmm. how did opportunities like Cravings at 99 Ranch pr- present itself? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what made you excited about that opportunity? And what is like, that for people who don't know? Okay. So Cravings um, is a food hall supermarket owned by um, 99 Ranch Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, 99 Ranch is an Asian market. If you've been in 99 Ranch, it looks very dingy. It smells like seafood. Um, it's very, it's a very strong smell. And if you're if you're not Asian used to it and you walk in there, you, you're probably going to turn around and leave. <laughs> um, I met um, one of my former neighbors, ja- Jasmine, and she happened to be working with 99 Ranch Group. And she knew about what I did in the, in the food industry. And me and her were throwing back ideas. And she ended up bringing me asking me if I wanted to jump onto the project. And obviously I got super excited right away because this was different from, than just concept developing all the time. I got to do a whole full on experience this time around. Um, so I got super jazzed up. I'm like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna bring together a good group of Asian fusion concepts and I'm gonna put it in Chino Hills, which I've had major success with, uh, with afters. And we'll, we'll see what happens from there. Was the opportunity for you a money thing, or because it wasn't equity? You weren't a partner mm-hmm. in this thing. Did you see the vision being like, "I'm gonna get clout out of this"? No, I, I, I used it as, I'm gonna use this to show these other developers that I can help shift the community. I can change things around. I can make things cooler and better. And this is what this is how things. This is how retail is shifting. Mm. And if you give me this opportunity, I'm gonna I'm gonna change things up. And well, that helped me launch into the next projects I'm going into. Dang, which we're gonna get to. What what about retail? Mm-hmm. Can you be more specific with retail? Like retail's tough. Yeah, I like think sh- it's like, it's, it's obvious. Getting people to go out to shop these days is not easy. It's not this, you know, you go in there and you feel like, you feel like people are just shoving product down your throat trying to get you to buy everything. Like this is on sale, this, you know, you need this new item coming out today and tomorrow. But if you pay attention to what's going on, the things, the retail that, the experiences that are working are like the museum of ice cream when you know it was killing it people get you can't you can't just live through that on this you have to go out and take pictures and hang out with your friends and talk and i wanted to bring that element to my projects is it about always having an experience when you're out i i think so because it's hard if you if you don't have an experience like you can just stay home on your computer and do that but you have to create something you need to do something to get people out of their chair and excited and that's kind of my like my personality and lifestyle. I want to get excited. I want to figure out what I want to do. You know what I want to go do with my wife and kids. So yeah, you yeah. talked about scaling specifically with with Groundhouse mm-hmm. and you know asking your chef, do you want to change a menu mm-hmm. so we can do a thousand locations versus yeah. twenty locations? Mm-hmm. 
does the retail side excite you because of there's just a higher ceiling and again if you create a thousand location restaurant chain that's a high ceiling so i'm not i'm but with retail centers um especially new age retail centers to me that seems like a very different business a very different model that potent i mean that comes with its own set of pros and cons um so what what makes you interested in that from a growth standpoint i i think it's i'm an orange county kid i'm born and raised out here and with this upcoming Stanton project coming up, this is like my stamp in my hometown of, cool, I did this in Chino Hills. I, you know, I helped generate an impact and, and shift the community over there. But I need to leave some type of legacy back in my hometown right now. And, and I enjoy seeing like communities change. I enjoy seeing people like, hey, this place is cool. This place is super cool. I'm having a great time. Like I've done that, we've done that with like one concept before, but how can we do it with like an entire community? And I think with this, it, this gives me a chance to to showcase my skill set outside of like being known for like, oh, he's the food guy, or before I was like, oh, he's the clothing guy. Like, I, I want, I just want to be able to disrupt and, and shift communities and, and industries. Yeah, who knew you'd be back in the real estate game? Yeah, in a different way. I got to be <laughs> in a creative side this time. You know, around, you know what I mean? Like, I got to do. I'm getting put together great brands. I got to, I got to educate people and showing the showing the next generation of of kids over here like. I could do it. You, you definitely can do it. You know, I'm not. I didn't have any of these skills before. I just kind of are gaining it along the way and, and picking at it and studying it. You mentioned the word legacy. Mm-hmm. How important is your own legacy to you? Um, before I didn't really think about it too much before, but I knew, like up recently, like just being around here more often and hearing like. You know, I see when I see the kids around the area, they'll you know they'll start thanking me for things like I'm, I'm starting this new project because of you. Oh, me and my friends are working on this together, and I wasn't able to do that when I was at their age. You know, I, I didn't get to go up to like Jonas and go, yeah, like I didn't get to do that. And then now, like you can see this generation doing, it, you're like, well, it's changing. And these kids are, you know, before I wanted to be like I want to be an, a ba- I want to be a basketball player. I want to be like you know, like Kobe and Jordan. But the, these kids don't want to be Kobe and Jordan. They want to be like you. They want to start a food media company. They want to do what I do, like open a bunch of res- different restaurants. And I want to be that, that person in Little Saigon that, that, that put the Vietnamese community on the map. So like Drake did for Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> we need and, an OC basketball team. That's what we need, bro. Yeah, we, <laughs> we need all we get need court nice We need to change that Angels name to the Orange County Angels. That's, Stop calling I it hate that, that, bro. That pisses me off. I'd be a Clippers fan if they were still based in Anaheim. Yeah. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I feel good. You any other last questions, Jeff, before we jump into some, some fan questions? Yeah. What you got for us, Andy? Yeah, man, you got anything special? Oh, what do I got for you? Two little, uh, 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 for following up with my Orange County thing and my legacy. So I am, I have, in my stamp project, I do have this gift shop opening, which is like an Orange County pride gift shop that I, this is my passion project that I wanted to do. Not everything, like I said, not everything's about a thousand stores or whatever. This is like my continue on with legacy. I wanted to do a brand I got inspired like traveling and seeing like these super cool stores that have like great product and I remember I was in OKC with Fernando and we're in this great curated Oklahoma pride store and Fernando's buying OKC product I'm like what why are you buying Oklahoma product 
So I can buy them for the wife, my wife and kids, which, you know, like, like travel places. And I'm like, damn, we don't have anything like that in Orange County. That sucks. So we're sitting on the plane. And, you know me, I'm just jotting ideas down. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to start this Orange County Pride store. I'm going to put our brands on the map. I can't stand people wearing L.A. hats or whatever in Orange County. They're not even from L.A. They know nothing about L.A. Like, and no one's being the forefront of Orange County. So I'm starting my Orange County gift shop where I have Orange County product. That's I have my little Saigon shirt I'm wearing. Um, so I'm putting on for my city and, and, and make people be proud of being from Orange County and educate them about stories of amazing entrepreneurs out here. Um, the big Vietnamese communities, Huntington Beach, Surf City, just like Disneyland's here. People, you know, when people talk about Disneyland, they go, oh, that's from LA, right? I'm like, nah, bro, that's Orange County. Let's, yeah. get, it, let's get it right. And I just want people to be more proud of where they come from. And, and everyone knows yeah, I'm from Orange County. And if I'm going to be the, I can't, if I, I have to be the ambassador, I'll be the ambassador for the city. That's what's up. Because right now, when people think of Orange County, one, it seems they relegate it to Irvine and Laguna Beach. Like those are the visuals. Those are the visuals we get. So that's cool that you're putting it up for the other communities that are in Orange County. Of course. Um, My big project that I'm working on, I get you guys get the exclusive here today. Okay. They finally they wouldn't let me announce it till now. Okay. Is that in Las Vegas? We're I'm bringing Hello Kitty. So I'm bringing Hello Kitty Cafe to the Strip. Oh shit! It's not it's not the same products here. It's like our own. Like they let me be, you know, like Sanrio, like blessed me with, to be able to do what we wanted to do, and the products are super cool. It's you know, it's super good and it's dope. Yo, so shout out Sanrio. Clip that and what? Yeah, what what else about what where where on the strip? It's you know in front of New York, New York. There's a Shake Shack out there. Yeah, the New Park MGM Hotel. So we're like right outside with this brand new special container. Like it's not the not it's not normal shipping containers. Like custom built. Like it's super high. It's like extra twelve feet high and. Um, the products that they let us do are super dope, and we're gonna keep throwing crazy stuff in there. It's it's gonna be that's a hot sick. part of the strip right now. You yeah. know that, right? Obviously, yeah, it's great. Yeah, Park MGM is killing it. Let, so. let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, Hello Kitty Cafe, and then we have other stuff working on with Sanrio for the future too. So. Damn, when is the cafe open? Did you already say? Um, July twelfth is the slated grand opening. The exclusive. Oh, th- this July twelfth. Done. Yeah, I'll show you guys pictures of the container. It's Let's sick. go. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we're gonna need the full menu. We're gonna yeah. need all it's, what all the Sanrio stuff in there. Sick. No, we didn't. Tell, real quick before mm-hmm. we go into the live stream questions, how how's it gonna be different from the uh, Hello Kitty cafes that we've covered and seen? Because um, I think that's gonna be my initial question. Are we taking a lot of the elements that we've seen? Uh, here in Orange County and elsewhere, um, and or how are you adapting that? I think you know with Sanrio, they understand who I who our group is as a person, as a people. They know that that what we've done in the past, so they're gonna let us apply a lot of that to the element, like our street element being very cool, you know, very uh, our style of marketing. Like they're very open to it, and they're giving us like a lot of flexibility to make it happen. So yeah. That's so, so it's tight. not gonna be the you know we have like we have like kropi donuts with like pistachio filled and it's really good it's not like it's not like some like cheesy product like it's it, it's quality like we have amazing croissants and the drinks are cool and the merch the merch is you already know the merch we're gonna <laughs> don't even talk to me about the merch we're not playing around I, I, lo- I love the way you say pistachio yeah. and I'm never saying it any other way 
Andy, thank you for dropping that exclusive. Of course. Appreciate you, man. Of course. You guys get it first. Yeah, we'll shout that to the moon and the rooftops <laughs> for you. Um, everybody, thank you for listening. This is the end of this part of the podcast. I've been Eli. You got Jeffrey Kutnick. Yes, sir. And our very special guest, Andy Nguyen of After's Ice Cream and of a lot of cool shit, as you've heard. So <laughs> that's just the beginning of his legacy. So uh, until next week, you're going to hear the roar. <laughs> all right, guys. What's up, Twitch? Let's let's uh and Instagram for all the questions. Let's see what we got here. Let's do it. Thank you guys for hanging the whole time. Thank you. Uh, some people were donating. That's cool. Thanks, John. All right. Let's see what questions we got. <laughs> what was your original AIM screen name? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yeah, we all have Which to one? share. Have, we all, we all we'll have share, to we'll share. share. We'll yeah, share. We'll yeah, share. Th- three of them I remember for sure. Like three or four of them I remember for sure. <laughs> oh man, you had you had names. I named changed over time. So before AOL, I, my sister she used CompuServe because we couldn't afford AOL. <laughs> so <laughs> yo, that's such, a, that's such a funny nuance. <laughs> so CompuServe, my screen name on CompuServe was uh, my favorite basketball player at the time is the is the Chinese legend Stefan Marbury. <laughs> the Chinese legend. <laughs> uh, so I was like XL Marbury LX, like that, like that, written like that, and then do- How, which were capitalized and which were not. The, the, <laughs> yeah. the L, I think the L's are capitalized, so look. Uh, or the, no, not X, the X. The L look. The L look straight, so the X's are like capitalized, so it looks even. And then Domino's had this commercial called um, "Bad Andy Good Pizza." It's like the stupid thing, and I, my so I made my screen name "Good Andy Bad Pizza." <laughs> and then in high school, I thought you know. My my fashion sense. So my name was like Tight Styles with like T Y G. Uh, and the the nickname that people called me for a long, long time was like I'm Andy Cool. Oh yeah, I'm Andy. Oh, I think I've chatted with you on that one. Yeah. That's that's when our relationship started. <laughs> the Am- you, yeah, cool I, yeah, I definitely chatted with I'm Andy Cool oh, on G Chat. Yeah. Oh yeah, G Chat. Yeah. I still have that. I still my email right now. I made my main email. Yeah. What was yours, Jeff? I was a. Uh, B ball stud <laughs> one four eight seven. I was fourteen when I created it, so the numbers actually like aren't a birth date or anything. It was just like fourteen of the my birth year. So you would have sound more gangster. You took out the four and went uh, B ball stud one eight seven. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I had two. My first one was scream five nine six two. Because I love I love scre- the movie Scream. Okay. I wasn't allowed to watch it growing up, and as soon as <laughs> so I like wanted to be cool. So Scream, and uh, the f- the numbers after it was just because Scream was taken. And so okay. that was the <laughs> randomly <laughs> so generated numbers. Yeah. yeah, and then my next one was E E Factor Eli because okay. I owned a, I created a joke website. Yeah, it was a database of jokes. Okay. <laughs> like yo, <laughs> the jokes. <laughs> I fancy. I thought I was funny, but I wasn't funny. So okay. I like created a system where people could submit their jokes, and I would just like put it in a database. Okay. So I was EE Factor Eli. Okay. And I tried to turn that into a media company. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. It didn't fare well. Okay. It turned into this. That was the start yeah, of it. Yeah, it's a little bit. A little bit of this. A little bit of that. So a great question. Great yeah. question. Um, where can you listen to the full podcast after this stream on iTunes and? Uh, Spotify, basically anywhere you get podcasts, you should be able to find it there. So thanks, John SF, for asking. Um, 
Andy, have you taken your talents outside of Southern California? That's someone from Fork, called Fork Spoon Eat. Yeah, I have projects in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. um, and we're developing more outside of the ones, we, the Seven Leaves and the uh, Hello Kitty Cafe that we have there. Um, I have projects in Houston launching, uh, Oklahoma City, and I'm in talks with Miami on other projects too. How do you how do you decide the locales, and are they are they opportunity based? So right person, right location. Exactly. Um, and then what sort of vetting do you do? I mean, the way you rep OC, you know OC too, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're, that location's not gonna work because they're not gonna see any car or pedestrian traffic. Like you know that already because you live it. Mm-hmm. How do you vet Miami for a new location? Um, the partners that we work with understand the city or they have experience out there already. Um, and they under they know the community, and I've been out there a few times to start studying and learning the area. So that you know, I get to learn about food and culture and see if it works. And a lot of these areas are looking for you know they, they, I get to put the splash of Southern California in their their town, and they get super excited. Yeah. And try not to take away from too much of their what they have going on there either. Um, I have a question that I submitted. <laughs> uh, it's about afters. Okay. And do you think afters would have worked anywhere outside of Orange County? Like as a start? At the start? At the start. That's so hard to pinpoint just because that perfect storm that we hit was, you know, we're the hometown, you know, this is our hometown. Like we had to do it right here. Mm -hmm. You guys are right here. We we had a relationship with you guys. If you guys didn't post it, we might not, you know, it might, the media storm might not have happened. Um, And I ask also because I remember. As we've talked with Scott too, mm-hmm. and a lot of the inspiration was stuff that didn't exist in Orange County. Of course. Where, let's say in New York, and, and part of that inspiration is like Scott would be out partying mm-hmm. and his friends, you would be partying, and then you want to go somewhere after. Yeah. Like you want to eat, you just ate, but there's nowhere open late. Like all the Baskin Robbins and stuff, they'll like close at like mm-hmm. nine or 10. And your whole thing about afters was being open yeah. after what you just did and what you just ate. But like doing that in New York doesn't seem that special, right? Like, cause everything's open late, and there's good options there exactly. for that. And competitive so, and the time frame and the, the news that was hitting type of news. Like right here, people are like ready for it over here. And yeah. food, food was, you know, we had like Ruxies. You seen the long lines when they yeah. first opened. So, you, we knew Orange County had a strong food food community, and we know we have tons of Asians, which are Asians are very big on developing what trends are hot first, just because that's how we are as Asian people. We're like, we're, that's the new place. We're all going there. And then everyone hops on after, and we hop off to the next thing. But that's just how, you know, we, we like to be first in everything. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I think Orange County plays another part in it. And I hate to be an Orange County homer yeah. of this whole thing, of this podcast, but which I've heard I am. But the idea of, you know, LRG being a global brand mm-hmm. and, and a lot of streetwear influence coming out of Orange County and street L.A. Work, streetwear also started here. It's Stussy. There you go. So, like, the... That's yeah. where it's like with your guys' streetwear aesthetic and the sensibilities, like it may not have been. It makes the most sense here. Yeah, yes. like it in some somewhere in the East Coast, somewhere in Texas, they may just be like, "I, I don't get, get it. it." They don't get it exactly. And we have the great melting pot here for everyone to understand it and be open to trying and looking. You know, we're yearning for different things because LA gets usually LA gets all the hot stuff first, but now we get to be the forefront of the side. This is not the fourth or fifth time this week that I've had a conversation about how trends start here and go east. And I know there's a lot of people in New York that'll fight me on that. Mm-hmm. 
and, and I'm not saying it's a one-way street. I do think there are trends that start other places and get grabbed. But And again, I, it's going to be my West Coast bias because we're based here and I can't get rid of that. But the amount of things that I see here and then experience as quote-unquote new things other places mm-hmm. like blows my mind. I, I don't know if that's happening the other way to the same degree because i just not i don't live there and i don't live through it but it feels like there's this huge flow from the west coast los angeles bay area east i think i think their flow on the east coast is more of like the their like fine dining scenes are a lot like stronger yeah the culture of the fine dining scene is more innovative on that side and I think we're more innovative on the more approachable, casual, yeah. casual mass market type of things. Which is where everything's going, yep. mm-hmm. right? Because the scalability we all talk about mm-hmm. is Shake Shack is scalable. That's an East Coast brand and now available everywhere, but came from a fine dining chef who realized that scalability, right? Okay. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I think that's just been where everything's going. Yeah. So another uh, good question was, as a young professional with no experience in entrepreneurship, what advice would you give? And should I get into it or not? The person asking is 30 years old, too late. And what should I want to know if I want to get in? I don't think it's ever too late to do it. You you, you have people that start later in their careers and do amazing different things. Um, Jeff Bezos was in his late 30s when he started selling books out of his closet. Yeah. And everyone would rich man in the world. Everyone would trade to be to be him right now. Mm-hmm. You know? um, can you repeat that? Oh, it would start. At, what yeah. would you do? Start. Uh, honestly, you just have to. You just have to jump into it and then figure it out along the way. If you don't jump into it, you're gonna wonder. And I and that's that's a big reason why I have all these concepts because I don't want to ever sit there and wonder like <laughs> I should I should have done this in life. You know, I'm just gonna do it. If it works out, cool. If it doesn't work out, fine. I'm right to the next one. Like I'm not gonna sit there and cry about it. Like I'll figure it out. I know I'll like. I, I know I'll always be okay. I'll figure out how to make things okay. Like, my life will be okay. Like, I'll be able to take care of my family. Someone's asking, without going into great detail unless you want to, how do you manage your failures, business breakups, mm-hmm. and other adversities in the food game? How do you cope? It's probably yeah. a good... I cope? Yeah. Um, my mind is already on. I'm on, on to the next already. Like, if mm-hmm. things don't work out, oh, shit, cool. You know, if we're cool and we're still fr- we can still be friends, even awesome. Like, yeah, that's great. But if we can't, you know, it is what it is. I'm already on to the next thing. I have I have a busy life already. Like, I'm on to my next meeting or I got to go hang out with my daughter and wife. I got a lot of things to do. So, I'm already over it and then I'm ready to go. We got we got a ton of questions about starting a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, what... What do you think the the starting capital investment should be minimum for someone to start any restaurant of any size? That that all ranges. It's all different. Just pre- depending what area you're going to, what look you're looking for a specific location that's empty. It's going to cost you a lot more. It's going to cost you from uh, 175 to four or five hundred thousand on like a 1200, 1300 square feet spot. But if you find something that's like when we found afters, that was already the, the bones are there. It cost us 12 grand. You know, we got lucky. We started Pigpen, same thing with like 10 grand with Pigpen back then when we first started that one. And then now that generates, you know, that business generates uh, 250, 300 grand a month for Pigpen, two locations. You know what I mean? Like, like it just yeah. it just varies. Some locations, like some things will cost 50,000 startup on equipment. We're, since we're smarter, you know, we're finding used equipment. You know, it's, just, it's about being smart, uh, being resourceful, and finding the right opportunities. 
Would you make the recommendation that it can be a lot more fruitful to essentially buy a failing business than it will be starting from scratch in a either new construction or new build out? I think it depends what you're trying to do, what what vision you have for your restaurant and how glamorous you're trying to do it. Or are you are you trying to minimize your risk and learn the industry first? Like are you no, just it all depends. It's all different for everyone, and and we've had you know we've had concepts that started with like ten grand, and we've had concepts that cost us four hundred grand to start up. So mm-hmm. it all varies. You obviously have uh, stakes in food halls mm-hmm. succeeding, mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of your concepts are in food halls or food stalls yeah. of, of that capacity. Where do you see that going? Do you see that being a good place for people to invest? Like if someone at home is listening and wants to start their concept, it's obviously a little bit cheaper to start there, but what do you have to think of? You'll be paying higher rents and cam charges, which people don't understand when they're getting into these things. Um, so yes, it's a great incubator, but you need to be, make sure that you're able to cover rent and bring enough customers in and have a core product that people can come back all the time. Because you, you also have to have a smaller menu because the food halls are a lot smaller. You can't have tons of equipment. You can't have a cheesecake factory type of menu. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's just about being smart and see if it makes sense to your business and does the area does the area looking for that type of concept? Yeah. Someone was like, "How can I help design dishes for any new and up and coming restaurant projects?" Do you have an email people could email you, you at? Slide in the DM on my profile. You you can you know hit me up there and. I usually answer if you're not rude. I'll answer. I'm always happy to answer. <laughs> That's that is what's pretty crazy. You described that Andy as kind of the difference between being 17 today versus when we were 17. Is I mean, there's literally no chance of us trying to contact a person <coughs> that we look up to or we saw in a magazine. Okay. I mean, I, I'll say like limited to no chance. Sure, because you didn't know how. You, there's like, no access, or you, get, you can't find. You're gonna search through the. You're, gonna, pages? Tr- you're gonna track people down, or I mean, again, and people found ways and did it. Mm-hmm. And there's always you can always. Those people are in jail now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, whether that's tracking down yeah. the journalist that responds to your email, right. that like you know, there were ways to connect, but you had to take pretty big leaps of faith. Of course cross your fingers and then hope my letter got through yeah like as a kid i remember just you would write the president it felt like a yeah. writing the president it's yeah. like I, you could do it yeah. but that was kind of like the level of how do i like how do i get a mailing address a phone number like that was pretty now you can much, look up their instagram and right. dm them and this Chances are decently high, guys. Like, if you want to reach out to someone, I feel like the chances are way higher now. I mean, the fact that, like, realistically, you're in bed, you hit a search bar on Instagram, and you're now potentially in this person's ear or head, like, that's pretty And I don't know how it works for you guys, but I get the question a lot. It's like, what are you looking for, either Mm -hmm. at Food Beast or how can I, like, be a part of something? Mm -hmm. And there's some questions that people directed to you. is like, how do I be a part I'll jump in real quick. Mm-hmm. It's just like, how do you show value? Like, that's that's even, a word I was going to use right now. It's like, even the biggest celebrities, you can. Sh- there's a f- way to show value, right? Like, but you can't. Everything value is transactional, and it's it has to go both ways. Like, Correct. how do I get a shout out on your page? Yep. I don't know, man. What's it to me? Like, I'm not going to take your money. No, like, if you're if you're a lowly kid who wants to get a shout, I'm like, I'm not going to yeah, take your money. money. It doesn't make sense. But yeah. what's, the, what's the value? Let's think about it. Let's let's workshop what that value could be. And I'm sure it's the same for Andy. Yeah. Like, well, how can I help you? I usually tell people, I was going to have a write-up about this on my Instagram, like, later this week. 
it was, I had, I got, I've been getting messages like, oh, I have this, you know, I have this family restaurant. Can you come be a partner? We don't need money. We need you to help. Like, but what if you don't know me? Like, why would you even want to partner with me just because you see one on social media? I could be, I could be the hugest scammer out there. You know, I could have this crazy Ponzi scheme. <laughs> like, why would you, you know, like, I think that if you really want to make it work, like you're going to go out and figure out how, how to meet me or find me at my store and introduce yourself and try to build a relationship and friendship and, and learn more about me before you ask me those type of questions. Cause I was like, this is, that's too, that's weird. Like I could just say, Hey, it's weird. It's weird. But at the same time, like I get it when we've all hit a wall yeah, and you're just like, and you feel like you need a savior, right? Because I'm assuming the family businesses that might be the son or daughter that happens to be on Instagram yeah. and they know your story a bit and they can't convince their family to adapt or innovate or yeah. change, but the business is dying. That's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Because I don't, I think we've all been, we've all had walls that we've hit. Of course. And what I what I do want to mention is I think a lot of people can reach out when they hit that wall, no matter kind of who they are. Hmm. And that doesn't mean that they're the right partner for you. But I definitely empathize with that because sure. I, I, we only know what we know, right? I empathize with it. I just think they need to take a different approach I, to, I instead agree. of just dropping a DM. You know, I, like, I totally Because I'm already like weirded out. Like, why would you want to give me your <laughs> business to do like I, I, I don't want it. <laughs> I'm good. I have other stuff I'm focused on. You know. Yeah. There's empathy, and then there's success metrics of how of how to reach totally, out to people. So like, we can totally be empathetic. It yeah. doesn't mean we don't care. It just means like, imagine the volume of whatever totally. this person has to deal with. Like, yeah. sure, you have hundreds of unread DMs. You still got to get to. Of course. And then to take 30 minutes of your day to put together a thoughtful response you know there there's a value exchange there um so it's not like we're always looking to get value out of people um so feel free don't not dm us yeah you can dm um do you recommend pop-ups to build your brand and what do you recommend marketing wise for that type of event if you're going to do a pop-up and work on marketing i think you need to have a good network or being able to reach out to the right people and get them to talk about it and share and I think pop-ups are good it, 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 it brings something new to the area it's just that you are do you have a great event promoter you know to get people yeah. to, to sign up and, and spend money on it um, how are you showcasing the items beforehand to see what people are, are coming for if they don't know what especially now you don't know what you're seeing you're not gonna go yeah yeah I mean I think and, and I think to the question about pop-ups which is from thanks fork spoonie yeah. for, for asking is it's also getting it's like lazy if if you're Talk not put, if you're not putting the time to have an original concept mm -hmm. and you just find a place to kind of showcase some sort of food without a particular thematic without particular differentiation mm -hmm. good luck yeah good good luck because there's there's more restaurants than ever yes so your pop up is now just one more option mm -hmm. And so you really need to define what you're doing. Um, and again, that doesn't mean we don't make mistakes or don't have it all together. Yeah. But if you're not spending, I think, the creative time about thinking about differentiation, I mean, that's the type of thing that we get, I think, asked about all the time, yeah. which is come to this. Yeah. Cool. We have 1,200 things to go to today. Yeah. 
Why do I go to this? Why do I go this one? Yeah. And that's it. It's and not even it. a dick and question. It's, it's just, just like, like tell me, and tell me why. And yeah. also, pictures will speak louder than a thousand words. Of so, tell us why. Show me why. Yep. Yeah. And you're on a you're on a good track to somewhere because even if you're on a text thread with four of your best friends. If they don't want to fucking come to your pop-up, yeah. like, I don't either. Yeah, for sure. No. And, and I think it, the through line on good pop-ups, good restaurants, good food trucks is there's always a good story. I don't care what. I'd yeah. Fight me on it. There's yeah, always a good story. Yeah, right? Like, so uh, Keith from All Flavor No Grease yeah. started his slanging quesadillas out of his front yard in Watts. Like, yeah, that's a pop-up, but you think he, like, orchestrated a business plan before <laughs> yeah, he did all that exactly. shit? Asked all his friends if it was cool. He's like, nah, I fucking like quesadillas. Yeah, of course. And I'm going to – no one's selling it in my area, yep. so I'm going to open up on my front lawn. So he inherently has a story. He believes his quesadillas are better than everyone else's, and he has a personality to back it up. Now, you don't need all of that, yep. but he has three avenues of stories that I just mentioned off cuff. And so – and the thing you mentioned also is they have they get experience through these pop-ups that they they'll learn that oh I want to pursue it or I don't ever want to work in the food industry ever again. Yeah. Yeah, you'll I, learn. You'll figure it out if you want to do it or not. So I, I think what's great about that is I that's a great question cuz yes, I think do a pop-up. And and we cuz I've had friends that have I was like, "Hey, what do you think of this taco concept?" I was like, "I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't sound good to me." It's yeah. like, "All right, cool." They go and do pop-ups. Yeah. They did 3 or 4. Like they got chicken, they did all that, and they realized they don't fucking like serving tacos, and the star tacos didn't have a story. So not only do you not like the service side, yeah. you also don't have a story. So when you do want to hire someone to do all the service stuff and cook the tacos for you, you they're not going to be passionate about yeah. it. You don't have the money for it. Yeah. So pop ups are a good way. It's probably the cheapest barrier to entry, and I think that's why Jeff's saying like it could come off lazy because yeah. well, just because it's cheap doesn't well, mean think, you don't have to think about no, stuff. It's a, it's, you could do anything lazy. Sure, you, you can, could do a restaurant you could, lazy. You could do a restaurant lazy. You mm-hmm. could do a food truck lazy. Yeah. I think it's just. Because it's the lowest barrier to entry, yeah. there's the most people fucking with it mm-hmm. and not giving it the true treatment it deserves. I think it's also the hardest one to get people to go to because they're not fam- There's no there's no brand familiarity. Nothing, yeah. yeah, unless you're but, a known chef. Yeah. But it to Andy's point, mm-hmm. why I love pop and I, I love pop ups. Mm-hmm. I love the right pop ups. Yeah, mm-hmm. it makes you do it. So if you need to do a pop up to do something, mm-hmm. do it and learn. I think it's just. The three of us have done enough putting our toes in the water of various things to know that, like, uh, instant success, please don't have that as an expectation. Yeah. <laughs> I think these are good I think they're good, man. Yeah. Andy, thank you for the time. Thank you, everyone who submitted questions. I know there's some we didn't get to, but... Yeah, drop a guys, DM. I'll yeah. answer. DM Andy. Answer. How people find you on Instagram? What's your what's your ha- handle, bro? I have, pronou- I have to pronounce my name. Okay. Andy, <laughs> Andy the Nguyen, A-N-D-Y-T-H-E-N-G-U-Y-E-N. Dang, he got that blue check mark. Just start typing Andy. <laughs> like, you'll get it, bro. Oh, man. <laughs> Andy, thanks again. Everyone, yeah, thanks, I hope bud. you had fun. Yeah, see you guys. Good luck. Bye.